Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm Lee Carlo, joined by Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk. This week, we are going to talk about us. Pause for the applause. <laughs> you mean Jordan Peele's... Oh, the movie, the movie, right. Not <laughs> yeah. just like our personal relationships and no, you know how we become up. friends. And <laughs> Well, that's what the emailers have been asking for. More about you guys. I wish but, it was on television so I could see you. Yeah, a lot of that. Lots of that. Um, so Us, Jordan Peele's newest feature film. Uh, and then we're going to do a top five on dual roles. Actors playing more than one role in the same movie. So take the out of the bag. Yeah. That's a classic right there. What does I Got Five Want It Mean? It's about drugs. It's not about drugs. It's a dope song. Don't do drugs. Get in rhythm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Can't believe how big Dave got. Did you hear Gabe got a boat? He's kidding, right? He's not kidding. Hey, I think it's vodka clock. Oh, yeah. Where's Jason? Jason? Jason! Where were you? I didn't know if you were lost. Stick with me and I'll keep you safe. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scared of a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Okay, guys, so I think we have a lot to talk about here. Uh, Jordan Peele who wrote and directed Get Out in 2017, did really well uh, both in theaters and uh, critically, got a lot of good reviews, was nominated for Oscars. Uh, if we do have time a little later, I'd like to talk a little bit about him as a director and uh, an emerging auteur, I suppose. Um, but now we have his follow-up, which is called Us. And to sum it up briefly, it's about a family on vacation who's terrorized by their doppelgangers. Um, but within that, uh, within that narrative, there's a lot of questions that come up, a lot of theories, and I think that's probably what is going to drive a lot of our conversation. It's certainly what's driven a lot of the conversation uh, uh, surrounding this movie to this point. And because of that, I know we try to avoid this, but I did, over the last course of the last week, do some reading on some of these questions and theories. You try to avoid reading? Well, in general, yeah, but I know we try to avoid reading any kind of reviews and things like that before we do the podcast. 
uh, so we come in fresh. But I, I did want to get an idea of you know what some of these questions were, what was floating around out there, some of the theories, some of people's you know potential answers to these questions. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I came across a very simple question that I thought would be a good kickoff for us because. Uh, kind of on the surface, it seems very obvious, but the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, this is uh, kind of an interesting question. So uh, if you guys need to take a second of dead air to think about it, that's fine. Um, But in kind of the simplest of terms, walking out of this movie, did you like it? That's the question? Yeah, well, think about it for a second, because I kind of chuckled at it at first too, but there's so much surrounding this movie and so much of that has to do with the deeper meanings, the theories, the symbolism. But, you know, if you kind of just think about the movie as a whole, you're sitting in the theater. Like, did you like this movie? Was this a enjoyable movie? Well, well we should also we should also say this is going to be a very spoiler heavy podcast. I'm yes, guessing. that's a good point. Yeah, we probably will have quite a few spoilers. So we would encourage people to see the movie before they finish listening. But yes. Think about this for a second, because... Well, I mean, I've been thinking about it all week. Well, but think about your reaction walking out of the theater, because that's kind of what I did, and, I, you know, if you want me to answer first, like... No, I have an... I mean, basically, so so you're right. When you're watching this movie as an audience member, and I don't think it's just for people who think more critically about movies. I yeah, think everybody... Yeah, me either. What? Me, I know exactly where you're going. I don't, and yeah. I think it is everybody. I don't think it's Every, just critics. Everybody's like trying to put more meaning and in, and to figure out the metaphor. Like this, this movie screams at you to figure out what it's saying on a deeper level. Um, that's like part of the film going experience for this particular movie is not only to just take the plot in at surface level, but also fit, try to figure out what Jordan Peele as a writer and a director is getting at um, beyond what just the story is. And that in and of itself becomes an intriguing aspect of watching this movie because you're you're racking your brain trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean? Like, what is he trying to say here? What does this represent? And every little bit, you know, sort of pushes towards one way or another. And, and to answer your question, Lee, when I walked out of the movie, all my ideas at that point of what this metaphor was didn't work. They they kind of fell flat on their face. So I walked out going, I, I don't know what I just watched and what it was trying to say, which was a little bit frustrating for me, but I didn't dislike it because I was still even exiting and driving home. I was still trying to figure it out, which, you know, is engaging in and of itself yeah well i i mean maybe it's maybe because i saw this with with two people who were you know interested in talking about it afterwards i i felt the i felt it was actually kind of obvious what the what the what the film was saying and and i guess my my critique of the film is kind of quite the opposite of what i said to you guys about a year ago about get out which was that um I found the the sort of the metaphoric um, interest in the film to be a little too glaring, obvious, and <clears throat> um, really because uh, okay, I'm curious what you what was so obvious about it, and 
if you care to explain it to me, because I mean, I think the f- I still have my own theories and I have ideas really? I that mean, I've read, I, I, but I, I, I don't think it was obvious. Really, I think that's yeah. fascinating. Um, well, to me, I mean, to me, the film is about you know this idea of um, of sort of society, and I guess you know America because they say it, you know, so obviously in the movie, yeah, they do <laughs> tell they you what the Americans. metaphor means. <laughs> um, yeah, but we don't know what mean, means means. It, it, it's kind of you know the old nature versus nurture. I think the answer, in, in short, the answer is nurture. That you know, really, everybody is a um, a product of you know the environment they grow up in, and you know, um, some people are born into wealth and really succeed, and some people uh, are the tethered and live underground, metaphorically speaking, of course, and have very, very, very different lives. Um, and I think. Uh, because of that, uh, and I think I listened to an interview with, with, with Jordan Peele, and I think the he was trying not to give away the movie in this interview, and so, but he said, you know, for him, the movie was about you know not being able to turn your sort of point point the finger in at yourself, um, you know, in, in sort of analyzing life, and I understand that it's like maybe we don't look closely enough at how we were raised or our privilege or whatever when thinking about, you know, the success or our lack of success. And I think, um, and there's, I think there's a lot of other metaphors. I, I read something about like maybe the tethered are Trump supporters or, and, and I think they all, all these sort of theories work. It's sort of the same point that, you know, there's a certain aspect of society that's less left behind. And um, I mean, and to put a finer point on it with the character that Lupita Nyong'o plays, or the two characters, rather, that, you know, it really doesn't matter. Um, these aren't, like, zombie people at the end of the day. I mean, spoiler alert, we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie. But, you know, they are, they've just been raised in a, in a um, sewer, essentially, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just to, to backtrack a little bit, I mean, I mean, and Chapin, your, your response and uh, your conversation with Jeremy about the metaphors in this is, is kind of proof positive to what I was saying about how so much of this movie and the, and the conversation around it has to do with defining this metaphor and understanding what they're trying to say. But kind of back to my initial question. Um, and, and Jeremy, you kind of summed it up nicely by saying like, yes, like you, you know, everybody, you know, from, you know, the most, uh, uh, you know, well-established critic to, you know, to somebody who's trying to get a scare, the dumbass audience member. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's leaving this movie kind of with that same reaction that like, this is a movie that, uh, you're going to ask questions about and that you're going to try to come up with theories about and talk to, uh, your friends about. But I think because of that, and this is, you know, what I sort of came to, uh, with this question is that because of all of those things, I feel like the commercial aspects of this movie were hurt. And I will, I will say that there were really pretty significant portions of this movie, uh, that I found boring and all that having been said, I really want to see it again. Like I really want to talk about these, uh, questions and theories and metaphors. And I, I don't want to steer us away from that, but just, you know, on the simplest of terms, you know, if you're saying, okay, did I like this movie or did I not like it? Was it an enjoy? Like after the fact, it was a it was a good experience thinking about it all week. But leaving the movie theater, like I guess no, I guess no, I didn't like it because 
it wasn't yeah, it, it wasn't particularly scary. There was some scar- tension. As scary as we thought it was going to yeah. be. I mean, talk about an effective trailer. I ha- I can't remember the last time I was more nervous to walk into a, a horror movie than I was with this yeah. movie. Yeah, no, it's true. And and <laughs> but it wasn't particularly scary. And I don't think that's just us talking. I've heard that from a lot of people that it it, it doesn't live up to the scares from the trailer. Um, there's some good tension for sure. Similarly, that to Get Out. Um, but I think that the if you're to put this in a, a genre box, it is closer to something like Get Out that is more tension and, you know, mixed with some good comedy same. and some but metaphor throughout. Yeah, Get Out was the same way in that I, I think having seen Get Out for a lot of people, it, it, it colored their experience with us because Get Out was such a film that represented something else yeah that you walk into us going okay same director uh same writer mm-hmm. same sort of tone and feeling so you you really want to f- pull from that that experience that you you got on get out and like when i watched it i definitely saw myself being influenced by get out because like my first thought was okay cuz get out was was uh had so many like racial themes. I thought, okay, so this is this movie now is about, you know, the black experience in America. And even though, even if you're doing well and you're, you know, successful, it's hard to escape being black in America, and it'll come and haunt you. And I'm like, oh, I, I got it. I figured it out. And then their friends, who are a white couple, also had the doppelgangers. And I was like, well, so much for that theory. Yeah. So much for that theory. Well, and I don't think it was obvious that it was nature and nurture and honestly i don't even think that's the best argument i've heard so far i, I would disagree chapin what's well, the best I, argument you've heard so far uh the best argument i've heard heard so far was it's about consumerism and hmm. that it's about that that we live these lives and and enjoy these things and these technologies and all that not knowing that there's like a whole world of people making all this happen for you somewhere else. Sure, I mean... That, underground, that, that per works, se. That per works se. with my theory. I mean, not that it's mine, but... I think but it's it, not nature versus nurture. It's just being well, ignorant to these shadow people that exist it, to make our iPhones and make but you ha- our but, computers. But Jeremy, and, this, is, this is a movie about doppelgangers, so how can you say that? Like... That, I, I agree with you that uh, that that theory works, well, I, but I mean, yeah, I think the but, point is is that these people are exactly the same. They are literally mirror figures of the other people in the world, and so you know, well, if, or you could just say that that everybody's you know human ultimately, and that you know we're not much different than any anybody well, that, else. That's what I think they're saying is that is that it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, and, and I think it, when the the character i guess that it's called she's called red in the um yeah right uh, in the world and and then she's uh what's her name when when she's in um adelaide adelaide when she's in in this world and and we all have that and it sort of doesn't matter i mean if you're born in you know east asia and you're you're going to work for three dollars a day building iphones that are consumed by your doppelganger in the other world mm-hmm. i mean i think i think that i think that that theory still works it's just an expansion of what i was saying right or, yeah, um, i think or you're both right lesson. i mean yeah and and at, at risk of you know this just being us throwing out our own our own theories like to me it's almost i mean i kind of agree with both of you but 
the surface level metaphor here, like you said, Chapin, I think is pretty obvious. I mean, the hands across America motif, for lack of a better term, that they reference um, and and for and I don't really remember it, but for anybody who doesn't um, remember Hands Across America, it was essentially this movement where to to raise awareness for homelessness, where everybody right. essentially holds hands across you know the entire country, and it turned out it was sort of a failure. It didn't really work out, which I mean I guess I can understand how they couldn't get people to hold hands all the way across the country, but um, either way, <laughs> like that that aspect basically is uh, a metaphor in and of itself for for every you know one person that has a good life there is one person that has a bad one and i think there can be mirror images of each other uh, in whether that's you know nature versus nurture whether that has to do with you know uh, consumerism or whatever it may be it's just trying to suggest that you know we should you know pay attention to the fact and like jordan peele says turn the and point the finger at ourselves that yes this you know we may have it okay we may have it good but there is somebody who is very much like ourselves is sacrificing for that is is yes is you know has it horribly and i think but that's i think the that, like the whole point we need to be yeah. aware of it we need to be aware of the homeless we need to be aware of the no but it's not just aren't. like random people it's like somebody is tethered to you somebody is specifically mm. tethered yeah, to you and that's why that's what the consumerism makes more sense because because of everything good you have with the you know your technology or just use an iPhone for example right. somebody there's made that somebody for you. Yep. that's suffering because of that so I think that's more important it's not just like you have a good and somebody else has a bad everybody knows that right um, I think it's because there is a tethering and it doesn't in this it happens to be represented by a doppelganger but it's more about that there is somebody in a weird way being affected and mirroring you because of our global economy in the way that um, we consume goods nowadays. Okay, so Jeremy, I, I, I think that's a really interesting point. And I think what backs up your theory is that sort of, and it is, it's played for laughs for the most part. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little dubious of it, but the sort of the comparison that George, um, mm-hmm. that Winston Duke does to his friend, you know, having the smaller boat and sure, having the, right. the shittier house and, you know, the girl... Um, it seems like bad writing on the surface. A little bit. The girl is on her phone all the time and um, so there's there's that aspect to it and they have, they have, they seem to have kind of privileged lives, you know, they're going on a vacation and I, I, I heard that uh, maybe and maybe I missed something, but th- I thought someone said that I was reading about this article th- that that they were in like an Airbnb. But I, I also thought that that was actually their home that they own. No, it's their home. Yeah. they talk about. Their so they've got a privileged home. life. Yeah. They've got a second home. Um, it's their, the 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 um, Wilson's think, sorry, home, but uh, Elizabeth Moss's family or whatever they're renting. Their oh, house. gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, but I do think. Uh, I mean, and I guess we should get into like how we felt about the film deeper, and this will maybe start that off. But Jeremy, the one thing I, I I might argue with about that is that, you know, these characters come out and they say we're Americans. I mean, these people who are not well, that's what Americans do. Well, but, they're well, they're Americans as well. Like, I mean, I, I think it, you have to look at that. I, I think it's hard to take the 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 global idea, which I, I I totally agree with, and I think it's a very interesting way to look at this movie. But I think we would be sort of betraying what the director is telling us when he when he says that these people are maybe a little closer to home than than what your theory suggests. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I guess I, could, I took the were Americans as 
we're all they're part of what America has produced. Mm, okay, like they're part of the fact that we need, like we we live a certain way, and that that affects everyone in general. And I I, I agree that like these comparisons, like there's a very real reason why. Uh, he's always comparing himself to his friend there and everything they have and that there's that scene with the uh the pseudo alexa right where yeah. they're getting ophelia they, ophelia whatever yeah so like that's all done very much on purpose and like to turn that back to your point at the very beginning lee it's like you don't know you don't really understand this at that point in watching the movie or maybe you do maybe you figured it out maybe you're smarter than me but at that point in the movie it does seem a bit like lazy writing and cliches and yeah cliches and it's not really working and as an experience just on that level it's not great okay well let's get into this because this is where i was very um i think i had a problem with this film um uh, an idea that I've been sort of playing with since we've started to do the podcast again and that's been very, I think, interesting for me to think about on my own and, you know, maybe has sort of um, dripped into our conversations a little bit on this on this podcast is this idea of these kind of, of movies being, you know, cerebral versus visceral, right? The idea of like a uh, an emotional response to a film versus a sort of a thoughtful kind of thinking you know, brain, you know, a, 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 a thoughtful response, a, um, you know, a, a brain th- response, a brain response using your brain instead of your heart. Um, and the more and more I think about these things, even as it like relates to the work that I do, you know, for my job, like, you know, emo- I think movies and this kind of stuff is it's about emotional responses. I think, you know, movies are for the most part emotional roller coasters and and that doesn't that isn't to say that the brain doesn't play a role and obviously emotion is part of the brain i just i'm sort of using that as a metaphor you know between using your brain or using your gut or your heart or whatever you whatever sort of bodily metaphor you want to use um and and to me i think the more i the older i get and the more i learn about this stuff and the more i kind of reflect on my own experiences it's it's really about the emotional experience um and for me, this film, the biggest flaw with this film is that is that the 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 emotional experience just was not connected to this film. I, I, I wanted Jordan Peele and what I think he did really well in Get Out was was tell you the sort of the conceit of the film, which I think we've just been talking about through emotion and through the the sort of the emotional uh, arc of the film. I think that was so smart. Like you, you, I think the one thing I did take away when I first saw Get Out was that you really are in that character's shoes and you feel what it's like to be, you know, a sort of a, a excuse the term, like a black sheep, like the, a person who's, who is surrounded by people that they're not used to. And, 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 and I think there's deeper levels of that, but we're not going to talk about that film right now. Um, and, and that just wasn't the case with this film. There, there was a, a very interesting... I don't think he didn't try, though. I think he tried to make that family the emotional core and the sympathetic core, but I think it, it didn't fully get there. I, 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 yes. I also think... But I don't think that he was trying to use fear and, and, and the, the, the emotional tenors of a, of a, of a horror film to, to illustrate his point. And I think... There's so much you can do with like the idea of a doppelganger, the idea of, of, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that there's ways to illustrate these things. I mean, if that was his primary goal here, 
is to you know tell us the what the the ideas we've been debating. I think there's a way to do that emotionally. That isn't um, just. I mean, what it came down to was again what my problem was with what we were talking about. I think on the podcast last week about Psycho or what I was talking about why I didn't like Psycho was that the film is essentially just the idea is just told to you. It's not. It's not illustrated. It's really just like you have all these. This sort of, you know, seemingly scary imagery that is then just sort of um, thrown out so that the the scary character just literally tells the other character what's happening. Well, I have a thought, and I think I agree with you, Chapin. And I think, you know, uh, uh, the absence of kind of any emotional reaction to this movie has to do with these characters because uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character, uh, Adelaide, um, is kind of boring. And I mentioned this before. And, and I think Jordan Peele does try to use fear in kind of representing certain things. And I think it works against him in certain cases and, and specifically with that character because, you know, she is she is so tense and anxious about this trip because they're, for some inexplicable reason, continuously going back to the same beach where she had this traumatic experience when she was younger. And... Um, Notwithstanding the the twist ending, which I, I imagine we'll get into, and in, in whether or well, not that all, plays, but all this has to do with that twist ending. Well, well, hang on, but that character of Adelaide is is not really very easy to like, you know, root for. I guess for for a lack of a better term, and the same could be said about the two kids who are really uninteresting. Uh, Winston Duke's character, Gabe. And we can argue about his performance in general, but he was fun I, and he yeah. was he was likable. His performance was good, um, and you kind of did root for him. And yeah, but with the but you didn't root. You weren't. I was never. First of all, I was never worried that you know Adelaide was going to survive and the family was going to survive. And and well, Adelaide kind of didn't survive in a in a well, weird way. Again, let's let's get back to that in a minute. But just on Chapin's point and kind of the emotional reaction, like I I wasn't emotionally invested in this family surviving because I didn't really care a whole lot about them because I didn't find them particularly interesting. And and Adelaide is the perfect example. She was sort of boring. But you and get why she's boring. Again, you this do. Is why it I'm makes sense trying, within the confines of the, the story. End. But that doesn't that doesn't allow you to have an emotional reaction. So maybe that's a flaw with the script. And right. Lupita Nyong'o was very good in this movie. It has nothing to do with her performance, but yeah, her character, no, she was amazing. And talk about like a fun role for some actors. Totally to play these sort of doppelganger versions of themselves. Right. But that character, I do think, is missing something that allows you to have an emotional connection to this movie like but do you think you'd feel that way watching it again knowing how it ends like it's one of those no i still don't because like if we let's put this in the genre of the of the horror of horror like is, is she an iconic you know final girl is she a um jamie lee curtis like you know strong female character within a horror film i guess it's just a coincidence that she's a, a woman i don't think that is that comparison really matters but just to use that as an example like there's nothing defining about her that makes her memorable in that role aside from the twist but that's uh, separate. i don't know i think i think you don't give her enough credit i think she's playing it because she knows how she's supposed to play it it's like you know leonardo I, dicaprio and shutter island the first time through you're pl- he's playing it in a weird way and then you kind of get it uh i don't know if that's totally it like i because 
Look, the I think that the she plays the character as it's written, and like how that character would be, I guess, from at least you know as as for what we understand throughout the movie happened to her. But that's I think that is the problem. That's the problem with the script. Like this is this character was not written in a way that we can you know go along with her and latch onto her. Did you guys think that? that aspect of it that 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 she was a a little too there was a little bit too much convenience in the writing i mean i think you have to unpack Which I, I mean in every part but i think specifically when you're talking about her character i mean and 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 the twist that we find out at the end that kind of colors the entire movie uh i think if you go back and you analyze it a little bit it, it starts to fall apart. Did you guys find that at all? Because I, I certainly did. And, and well, I there's wonder definitely if it, pieces. There's this. So there's, should we talk? Let's just talk about it. So we stop like. Okay. So the twist it. is that it turns out oh, at the very beginning of the movie, the first scene of the movie, uh, young Adelaide, as I don't know, an eight year old or something, wanders off, ends up wandering into a hall of mirrors. And uh, I imagine I don't have to get into this too much because if you've gotten this far, you've seen the movie. Um, but she encounters her doppelganger, and of course, as a young girl, that's seriously frightening. And then we cut away to present day. But as it turns out, at the end, we realize that that doppelganger captured her, handcuffed her to a, a bed down in the sewers, and then went up to Earth or to uh, to Earth <laughs> to ground level and to the took, outer crust to the outer crust and took her place yeah. um, and, and was raised her by life. her family. Yeah, and, and you so should, we should say that like we throughout the movie you 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 think or it's implied that she just kind of was disturbed by right like a PTSD situation yeah. or something but it turns right, out but at the end that they actually switched places so so and i it's inevitable but i hate having to do this when you find out that twist the first thing that came to my mind was like okay so like why then the whole time was you know, she asking Red, her doppelganger, why are you doing this? Like, why the hell does she think she's doing this? You know what well, I mean? Well, you could also say she is so young, she doesn't really remember. Well, but she willingly did that, though. It'd be one thing if it was the other way around. I don't know. I feel like it does create some holes, but th- I don't know. It's I was not there, crazy about this twist. I felt yeah, like there it, were a lot of plot holes, I mean, re- realistically. Once that twist is revealed, but... I don't know. This is why another reason I feel like I need to see it again because I feel like if you're gonna, if Jordan Peele is gonna be so detailed with his metaphors and his his symbolism, like how how does he leave plot holes with this? You know, there, there's got to be answers. There's got to be an explanation. So you're you're annoyed that she has she said like why are you doing this? But you, she should understand why. And that, and that among other things, like why is I, I don't know. I I feel like it changes that character completely like so what is that ca- what is what is adelaide's motivation like what you know why go back to that why go back to that beach why go back to santa cruz well, i mean in either yeah. situation whether with yeah. the PSC, but especially now with now that she's the doppelganger isn't she <laughs> running a pretty serious risk <laughs> here like knowing any what other, she knows any other beach yeah a- along the coast of california yeah. <laughs> well, any also, other beach. also you i mean the the film scares you by by showing you that the who, who turns out to be adelaide the girl the the, the, the the lupita nyong'o character we see the most of the the sort of the normal quote-unquote normal one 
you know, her her being, you you see that character being quite as as a young person being quite evil and having that evil smile and choking her doppelganger out and essentially breaking her larynx so that she's got a permanent speech problem. Yeah. Um, but then that character is <clears throat> becomes very passive and is you know is not is not very evil. It's she's she's uh, she's meek and scared um, until the film you know takes off and her children are threatened. Right. Um, whereas but, the evil yeah. the 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 one who was born on the surface and who was a human and then is switched by the other one turns evil uh, which i guess makes sense to, uh, well here's your nature versus nurture yeah. theory. It, yeah and she you know they make they hint at you know uh years of therapy whether it's dance or drawing and and things like that so yeah we can go down that and road we also and accept don't it for know what like, it is we don't know why she, like the doppelganger versions like dance when they dance or do you know like why there's some sort of mirroring effect we we never and where get the rabbits that come explained. from yeah, well, I mean, rabbits in cages in yeah. the sewer. I I didn't even question that. So, but there's yeah. but that to go back to that nature versus nurture thing, Chapin, and like one of the interesting scenes or a few of the interesting scene is when the two red children, red versions of the children, end up dying, and that um, right. Pluto uh, and Umbra. Yeah, Adelaide's character then takes the time for what seems like no reason, you know, when you're watching it the first time, takes the time to care. And because technically, in a weird way, they're her kids. And I think she deep down knows that as they're being, you know, killed. And, and like, there's that scene where she literally, they get, all they have to do is drive away, but she gets out of the car um, and Winston Duke makes that joke, which, you know, everyone laughs and it makes sense. Like, and she's getting out of the car right now. Like, because it yeah. makes zero sense in the context of where you are in that story. Um, well, and there's, he does, sorry, there's totally a ton of like, like references to kind of cliche horror tropes. Like when they, are, when they get in the car and they're arguing about who's going to drive, like I, this is the first time ever in a horror movie when I was just like, "What are you doing? Stop having this conversation and drive away." But that's such a yeah. you know horror movie cliche. Like, why are they staying? They need to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I think again, I think this is all very interesting, and I think it makes for a great podcast. But I think your your question. Um, Lee, at the beginning of this was really smart because it's like, does this make for a good movie watching experience? Like, I don't know that I was thinking about all this while I watched the movie. I mean, it's interesting right. to think, talk about it now. It's after it makes the for fact, a good yeah. podcast, but like, I did not. Again, like, I, I um, and and I and I think what's interesting is, and Jeremy, maybe you can relate to this a little bit too. Is like, I feel like I'm not a very good movie watcher when I watch these movies. I feel a little bit like Lee does when he was watching The Tree of Life. You know, like I don't really know what's going on and and. Um, and, and so I think that might be true, and but I don't think it's very interesting for us to talk about how we're not good movie watchers, especially when we're asking people to listen to a podcast about us talking about movies. But I do think that speaks to, um, you know, what I what I want from a movie, which is like an emotional experience, and I want I want to understand things emotionally. I think they come from I think movies, you know, when they're when they're at their best, come from an emotional place. It's an emotional language. They they come from you know dreams and and deep welled down you know thoughts and emotions and 
and I and these two things like felt very separate to me. Like the idea, the ideas he was trying to talk about that we're talking about right now, felt very separate from the emotional core of this film. Which yeah, yeah. I, I feel like you're right, and I, I feel like in a weird way he 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 played this backwards. Like he started out with this metaphorical idea. All the questions, yeah. And then built onto that the emotional aspects of the families and this and that. And because the building blocks were sort of reversed, it was hard to, it was, it, it became more about what he was trying to say than about who these characters were, were and, and the emotional connection that the audience has to have to them. I don't totally. know if that's necessarily a bad thing, like when it comes to how somebody wants to figure out their own, you know, uh, screenplays and movies. Like you can do it that way, and it still work. But I feel like this time it was a it, it left a little bit on the table when it came to the connection on an emotional level. Totally, and I think you know he he did this to himself, and hopefully this gets us in a little bit because I'd like to talk about him as a director specifically with this movie, but. You know, that opening scene, young Adelaide walks by a guy holding a sign that says Jeremiah 1111, which is a verse that admittedly I, of course, did not know. And I imagine a lot of people that saw the movie didn't know. But that's immediately telling you there is a deeper meaning to this movie. Start paying attention to that. And you do kind of instinctually. And you stop paying attention to the narrative, you know, and that's the problem. I think, you know, the best case scenario, Chapin, like you're alluding to, is have a movie that has an emotional, uh, that gives you an emotional reaction while you're watching and a conversation to have after the fact. And this one, I think, only does the latter. But I don't think that takes away from sort of, I guess, you know, some of the skills that, Jordan Peele showcases here. This is really well shot, and the score is incredible. I think. No, I think he's an amazing. Like, I I love these first two movies as the first two movies for a director. Like, I think they're so unique in that they're he has his own voice. Like, and we're always looking for directors with their own voice. And these two movies, uh, as much as we're trying to nitpick us. A little bit like he he's a good director and i you know i i hope he stays down this path yeah i think i think you have to just look at the the sort of you know what amounts to directorial choices here i think the cast is incredible those two kids are especially i thought a lot of people were talking about evan alex the the son uh, who plays jason and pluto but i thought the the girl Sh- uh, shahadi right joseph um, was outstanding, um, and I, 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 I think I mean, and of course, Lupita Nyong'o was 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 uh, you know a, a revelation as well. But um, and it's a it's a beautiful film. It's it's um, you know I think it's well edited. I think all the technical things are there, and even beyond that, there's just a, there's a lot of smart choices here, um, which I think is why I'm a little harder on it um, on on what I've been saying about it, just because. You can see there's so much potential here with the, with him, um, 
and and you know the the technical pieces of it the the directing actors the you know it's almost like you know deconstructed it's a great film it's just it doesn't amount to the sum of its of its pieces yeah the the scene when elizabeth moss and and tim heidecker are killed is so good like technically and like the, the choices he makes as a director the the kind of the music almost, and well the music on the ophelia piece is amazing and then just, but even the kind of um, panning back and forth to up on the balcony to the daughters, then back down, then back up. And all of a sudden, that's when you see their first doppelganger. And she immediately, you know, kills the daughter. Like, I, I thought that scene was just so cool, technically. And, you know, that those are, that's a, like a top five scene. You know what I mean? And those are the things that, like, I just watched this. I'm like, and Chapin, you said it well. Like, they don't equal the sum of their parts. I'm like, this is so good. Like, the, this, his choices are that are done here, and there's a lot of good camera work, and the tension is built on a number of occasions. The Hall of Mirrors at the beginning is really cool, and then and I think a brilliant choice that was actually probably hard to make that I didn't think he would do is at the end when... Lupita Nyong'o go, uh, goes back into the Hall of Mirrors, you're expecting this, like, amped-up, juiced-up version of that same Hall of Mirrors that we saw earlier. Yeah. But he doesn't. It goes totally different direction, and he doesn't abuse that that tool, you know, um, but, which I think is smart. Yeah, and, and, and Lee, you, you pointed out, I think, what's, what's, uh, what is an improvement on this film? You pointed out in Get Out that you found the... I, th- I think you didn't like... Or weren't as convinced by the the humorous aspects of that film, right? Yep. Um, but I think he does that so well here. Yeah, I, I loved think that's it. something that uh, Jeremy, you are always very, very appreciative of of this ability to sort of jump back and find humor in like real life situations, and and it, it just it, that's such a significant skill and one that is so hard, I think, to to do that we don't really talk or think that much about. But kind of you know going back and forth between serious and and and, and humor and. He, it is so really, really funny, I think, in parts. And, I mean, I found totally. it, frankly, to be funnier than it was scary. Um, when Winston Duke gets on that, that bed that's way too small for him, yeah. and he's just like, hey. and, and <laughs> like the, brilliant. The humor is not kind of like you would think from a, a sketch comedy, someone who sort of right. uh, comes from sketch comedy. It's very human feeling it feels very real it's not punchliney yeah yeah, it it gives you like a a sense of of who these people are um and i thought i i I really like that part of it and 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 you know i i just think you know it just goes back to what i was saying before so okay well i mean it yeah it's so interesting because it's like this is a, a great conversation to have and i think we, we got to appreciate directors that allow us to have these conversations, whether we love the movie or not. I think that's that's an important thing. Can I ask you guys something real quick before we move on? Did you guys think at all or wonder at all about the almost like the um, the sort of circumstantial, I guess not but really just like how how this world exists did you ever think about – did it cross your mind at all while you are watching it or afterwards? Yes. Like, how, where do these – like, who has been feeding these people? How do these people get into makes, this tunnel? Yeah. Like, and why do they well, – well, well, like I said, where the rabbits up. come from. And yeah, like, where the rabbits come from. Why do back. they mirror them? Like, why does she know ballet as well? Right. Like, just because – yeah. And, I, and, I feel and to be like, honest, like, yeah, I, I saw, that, I saw that, that twist ending coming. I knew that was going to happen. 
uh, it didn't it didn't totally surprise me. Um, and to answer your question, Chapin, I don't. I mean, I don't. I didn't think a lot about it because I don't think it's supposed to matter. I, I, I don't. Maybe that's, I mean, pro- I maybe that's a maybe that's a problem. You're but. not supposed to think about it, but I I couldn't help myself from thinking about it. Master? Yes, precious false. They will cheat you, hurt you, lie. Master's my friend. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. Not listening. Not listening. You're a liar. And a thief. No. Go away. Go away. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. Where would you be without me? Ellen. Ellen. I saved us. It was me. We survived because of me. Uh, we are doing top five uh, dual roles, uh, top five actors playing more than one character in the same movie top five dual identities um you could go about this any number of ways uh we were a little worried that this category was top heavy so we did allow for that um interpretation uh and we'll kind of all go our um our own ways here so jeremy why don't we uh kick it off with you let us know what <laughs> yeah you did here. because well i mean i just didn't want to do where one character played two separate roles the whole time because i thought that was going to restrict us too much that we'd all have the same relative top five so i i kind of had it so one character plays at least dual identities maybe it's dual roles you know expanded it okay. um that being said my number five it's probably a little bit of a stretch even for this, but it's Paul Newman in The Sting. And the reason I, uh, I put a, that... That doesn't count. <laughs> why does that not count? I mean, I guess under your criteria it does. Because when I first watched that, I remember being like, oh, he, he, he was my, you know, he was the hero in this. And then all of a sudden he turned on the other guy. And, uh, and I was so, I remember being so disappointed in him. And well, but he didn't really. Out, yeah, he was conning. He was even conning us. Yeah. Okay. So this, this doesn't sound right. Uh, I'll, so here, I'll take it only because like of that the twist at the end where you think he shoots Robert Redford. Right, and and he said, "Sorry, kid," and yeah. then he shoots him. But and then he dies. In context with us, this sounds like <laughs> this makes no who, sense. Who aren't as they appear? Yeah. <laughs> But okay, Chapin. Okay, straight, straighten us out here. All right, so so this is a little bit of a weird one, and it's only just because I was watching this last night, and I don't want to talk too much about it because hopefully we'll be talking about it next week. But uh, mine is Paul Dano oh, as Eli, and um, I think his name is Paul, right? Paul and Eli, Eli yeah. and Eli and, and Paul. Paul. Um, a lot of Pauls in this uh, in this yeah. movie. Um, See. I watched it last night as well, and that's the one part of that movie that really bothers me. There's no need for so, them to have I, those well, two There's roles. a reason for that, which <laughs> yeah, isn't a really reason. a good answer, but Paul Dano was cast as Paul, and PTA liked him, so he cast him as Eli, too. Right. That's not a great, that's not not a great <laughs> reason. 
Yeah. Well, but what I will say is that, okay, I, I disagree with you a little bit, Jeremy, because they do bring it back to that story at the end, which I, I forgot until I had seen this again. Um, and uh, he, uh, Plainview says to him, you know, that that the, the Paul brother was, he was the chosen one. He was the successful one because he was, you know, upfront and was clear and directed, you know, asked for the money right away and he gave him $10,000. And um, I don't know, I, I, I think it just adds a, a, a sort of another element to that film. Um, and, and the reason I'm, I'm wondering, I'm thinking that it might be more than just a coincidence or, you know, just a convenience is that, be, you know, you how easy would it have been to shoot the one uh, scene where Paul Dano plays Paul over again. It was one sort of short right. scene in a kind of a simple. And he chose not to. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm sure they had to reshoot a bunch of the other scenes with yeah the original uh, when the original actor was playing Eli. So um, I just think he's good as both characters and they are two distinct characters. And so that's my number five. All right. Uh, my number five is uh, <clears throat> a tie of sorts. It's the same movie, but it's Frank Morgan. Ray Bolger, Burt Lahr, Jack Haley, and Margaret Hamilton all playing multiple roles in The Wizard of Oz. And look, I, I, I suppose we could argue about whether or not all these performances are good or not, but they're certainly iconic roles. And I just think within the, you know, the s- limits of the story, I think it's pretty interesting that they made this decision that all of these characters within Dorothy's Dream are you know, characters she knows in real life and just kind of reimagined. And that turns out to be important. So you have uh, Frank Morgan who plays um, the wizard, the Wizard of Oz, and he also plays, I guess, it's the, uh, if you remember shortly before the tornado, he's like a um, traveling, like... Um, uh, he's like a salesman, right? Or, or like no, a he's like a... He's, he's like a... Um, God, now I can't think of the word. Um, he, like, tells your future. Uh. Um and then uh, Ray Bolger is the Scarecrow, Burt Lore is the Lion, the Tin Man is Jack Haley, and Margaret Hamilton is the Witch and the Evil Lady on the Bike. So um, I just think it's, you know, it seems obvious now, like almost, you know, <laughs> 90 years later, but it's kind of clever that they chose to cast all the same actors in those roles. Brilliant. Moving okay. on. Now to now to Jeremy's list. Uh, All right, my number four is uh, Michael Parks in the Kill Bill series. Nice. Oh yeah, we talked about that. I forgot about that. Yeah, he plays Earl McGraw, and and these are two completely different characters. Who I believe was like the sheriff or something that came and and after. The Massacre, and then he plays Esteban Vijajo in Kill Bill Volume 2, who she goes and uh, gets his guidance to try to find where Bill is. Hmm. Um, no Be real there. reason. Yeah, yes. No real reason to have to cast two people for those. Just fun. I mean, cast one person for those, but uh, there's a reason Tarantino uh, wanted to do that. Very nice. All right. Uh, my number four is I think I brought this film up recently on a podcast, but it's um, Kevin Klein in Dave. Oh um, yeah, 
he plays the president and then the the guy who is who takes the place of the president who kind of looks like him. Um, and why I like the performance a lot is uh, Kevin Klein is not an actor I'm particularly familiar with, but I went back. I mean, I'd seen this movie before, but it's on HBO, and so I went back and watched it. Um, and it's a really great performance by him. He's he is you know as the president, he's he's a dick, he's a jerk, uh, he's almost like a sociopath. He's kind of a um, a terrible character. And as um, Dave, he's a really nice, caring guy. And it's such a um, it's such a like a, 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 a change in performance. And, and he's so good at both roles. And there's a, you know the subtlety in both in both cases. That the, um, the president role is actually quite small, but um, you really get a sense of him. And, and, and I really appreciated him as an actor in that. And I think it would. Um, I remember I, I heard some things about other actors who were gonna who were offered that role and. I can't imagine anybody else playing it, so I think that's a, a nice, a nice one. Yeah, that's uh, one I have not seen. I think I've seen. I saw it a really long time ago, but I do like Kevin Klein, and I actually would venture to guess that I haven't seen probably most of his movies, but everything I've seen him in, I actually I like him in. So you know, he's Mr. Fish Odor. Really? Yeah, <laughs> Bob's Burgers. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, uh, so my number four, I had to move sing- things around because of the the Paul Dano choice, which actually Jeremy ruined just before you even came on, Shape, and just talking about ideas <laughs> ruined my Paul Dano pick. But yeah, Blame it on me. Yeah, it's your fault. Uh, Mel Brooks in Blazing Saddles. He plays uh, both the governor of the, ten- of the state and also the Indian chief. Mm. Um, have you guys seen this movie or even seen it recently? No, not recently. So it's pretty funny, but it's also so racist. Yeah. The Indian (laughs) chief. Yeah. I mean, that's probably white. (coughs) like some of the stuff that's said and done in this movie is like, how is this ever, even in like the most racist times of our country, how is this ever? Okay. But, um, we can laugh about it now. (laughs) As they did then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, Mel Brooks plays both the governor, and he's really funny in that part, and then a very small bit as the Indian chief uh, in one scene in the movie. What I think is interesting about that pick and about my previous pick is that that they've done that, as both Kevin Klein and Mel Brooks do that on different occasions where they play two different roles um, in other movies. (laughs) Isn't that the list? Huh? Isn't that what this list is? No, but I mean they. No, they, in other movies, like they, those same actors do do this. Oh, same they've done thing it multiple times in other yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay. All right. Uh, hopefully, I got myself back on track here. My number three to take to derail it again is uh, Ed Norton in Primal Fear. Yes, it's one person. I thought about this one. Dual identities as Aaron and Roy. And uh, when I first saw it, blew my mind. I was like, oh, that's the same guy, and he's acting two different ways. <laughs> <laughs> the best actor not, ever. Not. Best it's, it turns out actor to be a ruse. ever. The and funny, it was a ruse the whole time. The funny thing is that Edward Norton has has done the, this like by the actual rules of this list in that Leaves of Grass movie, that Tim Blake Nelson movie. Yeah, and he, you, could also, you could also put Fight Club on this. And you could put the score, too. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Right. The score. God, Ed Norton's the best at this. Oh man! No wonder we loved him. <laughs> you should have done the score. That one would have been better than Primal Fear. 
Yeah, I didn't even think of it. Man, I forgot about that movie. All right, Chapin. Uh, it's number threes. We are on number threes. Uh, my number threes, I'm, I'm just going to do this one now because I'm going to steal it from you guys, I'm sure. And that's Sir Army Hammer in the oh, social network. Oh, you mother. Oh, that was the one I took off the list. What? That's Why? a great one. Because he plays, plays twins. The, so? <laughs> okay. At least he doesn't, at least he's Jeremy, not faking You in no way can that's criticize a, the. That is a the... different list. <laughs> It's literally right here, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. They'll make fun of me. Yeah, but you'll but you'll leave Paul Newman from the sting I on. I started with Paul Newman. Nobody had anything yet. Ah, <laughs> oh, God damn it. You, that was not your number three, was it, Chapin? You had that higher, and you're like, I got to say it. Um, I kind of have a smattering of, of different ones here. Ah, oh, God damn it. I don't know if I can switch anything else around here, but well, I'm going to. Just so. do it. Army Hammer is not going to make my list now. I'm going to go with, and this should be higher on the list, but I'm going to make sure that I get it, Christian Bale in The Prestige. For fuss. The Prestige. <laughs> Even though he's on, like, every other top five for this movie. <laughs> oh, I can't put... I, I can't put Haley Mills from Parent Trap number two. <laughs> <laughs> I could piss you guys off even more and make it a tie and go with Christian Bale in The Prestige along with Hugh Jackman in The Prestige. Yeah, that doesn't count, though. So my number two is Edward Norton in The Score. You guys... <laughs> that's a great pick. You guys seen that? Yeah, that's a great pick. That's is this what I'm we were worried with about it. with this list? That's what I'm going with. Okay, that's a good pick. Chapin, he, Chapin just gave up. Yeah, no, good pick. What, is it my turn? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I got to switch out uh, Sir Christian Bale. Is it number two? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. That's my um, number two. I'm, I'm, this, is, this, is, this is probably too high to be number two. Um, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go with Peter Sellers from Doctor Strangelove, <sighs> number two. <sighs> that was my number one. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I got. Two, I got. Sorry, number one. I got some other options here. I'm gonna go for my number two. I'm going with uh, Edward Norton as a <laughs> neo-Nazi and then not a neo-Nazi in American history. <laughs> this is a, this is a primary misunderstanding of this. No, of I'm just kidding. That's not really what I'm going with. Um, I'm going with. So this is on my honorable mentions, but I have to admit, I did. I never finished watching this movie. I saw about two thirds of it. Um, I don't even remember the circumstances as to why I couldn't finish it. But uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in Enemy. Yeah, I uh, saw that on directed list. by. I uh, never saw directed, it. Was it? Was that? I mean, good? sorry, I, I've um, been wanting to see that. Dennis for a while. Villeneuve. It's okay. I mean, it's it's super like it's kind of dull actually. Um, hmm. But it, the story is pretty interesting, and Gyllenhaal's really good in it. So. Um, in, in being um, Denis Villeneuve, it's it's worth watching just because we love him. But um, I certainly wouldn't put it among his best. Uh, all right, I'm just gonna we're gonna have have to double up here. I'm gonna stick with my number one, Peter Sellers, Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, that's great. Nice. Cap, Cap, Captain Mandrake, President uh, Muffley, and Doctor Strangelove himself. Um, okay, well, my number one, and I think it wins that number one just because of sheer number of characters, and this might be a cheat, but you guys, um, 
you know, Jeremy's been cheating the whole time. So um, <laughs> is uh, Jim Carrey in A Christmas Carol? Um, oh, I never saw that one. I, I, I love A Christmas Carol. and um, I love the Muppets version. I, I think this this version may not be the best one, but it certainly is kind of the most sort of fully realized just because it's in that animated form. Sure. Um, and they've shot it. You know, they did use motion capture. And it actually kind of makes sense. So Jim Carrey plays a bunch of different roles, but he does play every um, uh, each ghost. So Ghost of Christmas Past, Ghost of Christmas Present, and Ghost of the Future or whatever it is. Um, and it makes sense because he, these are like figments of the character's imagination. So it makes sense that they kind of like are him in a way. Um, and he does the voice and the motion capture and the kind of the face, the faces of each of those characters looks like him. Um, and I think it's like, especially, uh, uh, apt for Jim Carrey to do a role like th- this because he can play, you know, like a little kid or he can play, um, an old man or he can you know he's got this this you know this physicality that we know from his comedy that he can you know in in a in a sort of somewhat realistic way transfer to a character that looks and sounds like um you know appropriate for the age or type that he's playing it's a good pick i haven't seen it check it out next christmas all right um, so my number one, um, I, don't, I don't feel that it deserves a number one spot, but because things have been taken off my list, it's bumped its way up to the top. It's kind of like the green book of this top five. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Mike Myers in Austin Powers. Uh, I went specifically <laughs> with the first one. And look, you laugh, and I sort of laughed when I thought of this too, but Austin Powers and Dr. Evil, I think if you just look at those two, it's pretty good. I mean, yeah. it no, gets a little out of control. Uh, with the sequels and the fat bastards and, you know, every other character, the gold members or whatever it is. But yeah. um, if you look at those two, I mean, those are pretty iconic characters. And I, I, when Austin Powers first came out, it was sort of a, uh, you know, really kind of a, a good spoof. And, you know, it was a, a genre that was sort of beaten to death. But um, the, I think it's, you know, stands up to a certain extent. I don't know that the comedy still does. It's been a long time. But Certainly iconic characters, especially Doctor Evil. So you got to give Mike Myers some credit. I mean, he—I can't even take him seriously in anything anymore because of those roles. Yeah, he ruined well, that. Himself. Wasn't a good. Yeah. yeah well, that's no, not... but that's a—that's good for those roles. It's not good for him. <laughs> and it, it later, don't they later kind of make a? There's a reason he plays both parts, right? Like they are brothers or something. Oh, I don't know. At don't the end of it, right? I, Probably. I, it's all for a bigger picture. Yeah, yeah they knew just, that just going like in. Us. It's like they when they did, yeah. yeah. They had all three of those movies written originally to begin with. Yeah, it's, they've always thought of it as a, as a trilogy. Yeah, it's, like, it's like Lord of the Rings, yeah. Okay. Well, there you have it, our worst top five ever. <laughs> that was horrible. That was really bad. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go ahead and wrap things up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Please send us your emails and your thoughts. Send us your top fives. Like we, clearly, yeah, we we're don't have running any out of ideas. ideas. Yeah, but yeah, send us your top five ideas. We want to go. We want to continue to uh, do listener suggested top fives. Um, additionally, we would like to hear your your thoughts and questions and theories on Jordan Peele's us. Jordan Peele's us, not your thoughts and theories on us. If that makes sense, we don't. We're not totally interested in that. Um, I mean, I'd, be, I'd be interested. Well, in I guess that. yeah. Way, rate us on iTunes. You can rate honest. us on iTunes, um, and uh, check us out on 
Instagram, and Facebook. And yes, send us emails, feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. We promise that eventually, soon, uh, we are going to get to our Paul Thomas Anderson retrospective. It doesn't sound like it's going to be next week, so we'll have something else for you, hopefully. But we're getting there. Um, we're getting all caught up on all his films so that we can be as prepared as possible for what will likely be a very long retrospective. <laughs> I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.